This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and across the board for me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Another week of college football in the books. Another week of the NFL behind us. A lot to talk about. Things we once thought we knew, maybe not knowing so much right now. Well, I think there's so many positions across the board where it seems like everything is in flux, right? I mean, from the dynasty perspective, looking at your teams and and where you are currently in, you know, heading into week, you know, six of the NFL season, guys that you thought were going to be the players that you could build around now maybe showing a little bit of cracks in their armor. And then even on the Debbie side of things, going into the kind of the draft type of players, you know, guys we thought were going to be the number one quarterback. And now we're looking at Caleb Williams, sorry, Oklahoma. Um, we're talking about guys like that now coming in and taking over for players that were supposed to be Heisman hopefuls. And everything is just in utter disarray. And you know what? It's just another football season. You know what that is? It's just another football season, Paul. Just another football season. But this is why we come back. This is why we're sitting here doing this show. It's what drives us and yet makes it maddening all at once. Yeah, and this is why we say when we put out the scouting notebook, right, in the summer, you know, Labor Day weekend-esque, it's an evolving process. There's a reason why we make it a Google document and we don't make it a PDF document, right? It's a living, breathing document that is going to evolve, adapt, and change. And there's never been a year more than this one, which is why you, we don't make assertions 9, 10, 11 months away from the NFL draft, right? Because we, we, we may think something, but evaluating and scouting players is a process that goes for much longer than one year, much longer than a few games, right? And this year we are seeing that. There's never been a year since we've been doing Saturday, Sunday for sure. And just since I've been a fan of the NFL draft, college football in the NFL, where I can remember so dramatically things changing from August to where we are now, which is literally only the second week of October. And like the only other, and we're going to start at the quarterbacks here in the NFL draft report. The only quarterback I could ever remember seeing their value fall so fast was Matt Barkley, who was once thought to be a top 10 pick and then fell all the way, I believe, until round four. We are seeing it right now. And we're not just seeing it with one guy. We're seeing it with two guys. Every single ranking had Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma and Sam Howell at UNC as the consensus one-two quarterbacks in the preseason, in the summer. Most people saying these guys are round one picks, top fives, top tens. And since the first week of the season, when Jeff and I did the first episode during the season and throughout the last few weeks with you aboard as well, we have talked about how they have not been living up to the hype that the, the door was cracked open for the Matt Corrals and the Malik Willis's of the world. And now here we are, second week of October, 
Spencer Rattler benched this past weekend against Texas. At this point, I don't even think he can be on people's boards for 2022 NFL draft. I think at this point, Spencer Rattler is going to have to play the, I'm going to transfer, find a place that maybe I get a, a new opportunity. Maybe I find the right coach for me, even though, I mean, Lincoln Riley's great but find another coach, another scheme, another situation to try to rebuild my draft stock because it's that low right now. And Sam Howell, I said in the summer, I liked his game, but there were more flaws and holes to his game than people wanted to admit. And that was because the scheme there really made things easy on him. And the skill players that he had there, the Ami Brown, Daz Newsome, both those running backs, right, who are performing in the NFL right now, the scheme and the offensive skill players made him look even better than he is. And now, I mean, Florida State, Florida State's a nobody right now. Sam Howell can't beat Florida State, 17 of 32, two interceptions this week. Spencer Rattler being benched against Texas, who we've talked about their struggles. These were the guys who were supposed to definitively become the one-two, potentially at the top of the draft. Now, Rattler, I would be stunned if he's even in the draft. And Howell, I don't know where he is. Is he a second round pick? Is he? Does somebody still like him enough to take him late round one? I don't think he's a top five guy anymore because he hasn't looked like a top five quarterback this year. He's looked anything but that. He's looked like a guy who would maybe be a day two guy. So, so much has changed from the first game of the season, from what we thought about these players in the summer, which is why it's an evolving process, right? As long as they're in college, it's going to be ups and downs, and we have to not draw final conclusions until they finish their college career. And on the flip side of that, we're seeing that with Matt Corral. Because with Matt Corral, for years, we heard he was reckless, he was over-aggressive. And then you look at a stat line from this weekend, they win a game 52-51 over Arkansas, 14 of 20. 287 yards, no turnovers, two touchdowns, and another 94 yards rushing and two touchdowns. No bad decisions, no reckless plays. He still can make aggressive plays, but he's cut down on the turnovers. He's cut down on the poor decision-making, which was the biggest issue people had with him over his early part of his collegiate career. He's corrected that. But on the flip side, the other guys have went the other way. More poor decision-making, more poor judgment, turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. So we're seeing it from both sides. We're seeing a guy that has fully developed and now is on the trajectory up in Matt Corral, who we've, you've always been a big fan of. And when I watched him this summer, I put him at number three. Most people didn't even have him at number three before the season started. And I called him a first-round pick. And then we're seeing two guys go the other way. And then Malik Willis now is the complete wild card. He's now got a chance to hit the kid from Liberty, the dual threat, which is taking the NFL by storm. People want that. He might get a chance to come from Liberty to be the first quarterback taken. Top five. The door's open for him. So it's been a just wild first handful of weeks, six weeks of the NFL, of the college football season. Overview thoughts on kind of what I just talked about, Rattler and Howell going down, Corral and Willis going up, the the general process of scouting and evaluating in terms of 
just how wild it can change and how much can change on a dime. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to say there. So I'm going to kind of hit it with things that are probably beyond the scope of just the guys we spoke about and maybe more about the door being open, as you said. I mean, there are guys that are going to emerge now as options, like guys that just strike me immediately are like Jaden Daniels, right, from Arizona State is going to start sneaking into people's discussions. Uh, the resurgence of the Bo Nix and what could Auburn be and what could he be as a quarterback. Guys that are, again, so way out of the consciousness are now going to start seeing potentially opportunities. Desmond Ritter. Yeah, he is, start- he's moving up. He's moving up. Most people thought he was going to come out last year, be like a round three, round four guy. Who's to say he doesn't push his way into the round one, round two mix now because of this opening you're talking about? Yeah, I, I and I think that there's a lot of opportunity here for players like that and to keep it, keep it kind of open because you never know what's going to go on. So with that being said, yeah, I mean, scouting quarterbacks and scouting anybody, I, I think you always, to the point that you brought up earlier, you have to be open to change because these are human beings and they're going to change. And I think that when you look at a player as like, you know, a Matt Corral, we talked about him earlier. We said earlier in the season, like he had a very nonlinear path to success and to getting where he needs to be. But I think that as we go forward this season, I think it's going to be a testament to just how much of a lack of depth there is at this particular position that may end up serving well in the long run because it's going to open up our eyes to potentially looking at other players that may be good at the NFL level. The guys that obviously Malik Willis, I don't think that's new news. That's completely 100% known. But I think that are guys that are like, you know, I'm telling you, Bo Nix may start getting a little look. Desmond Ritter, you know, Jaden Daniels. These are guys that may start getting a little bit of, you know, a little bit of kicking the can around to see what they're capable of doing in order to, you know, see what we have in this class. So I I think it's really exciting, but yet crazy at the same time. You know, you, you don't expect this much overturning to happen, especially at the top. You would think that Spencer Rattler is who he is, going to hold the job. Now it's Caleb Williams. I mean, now whether or not Spencer Rattler gets another opportunity, who knows, but Caleb Williams basically came in and looked good, looked pretty damn good. And Caleb Williams was a stud in high school. So I can't imagine Lincoln Riley having too much sentimental value if it's going to cost wins and losses. So unfortunately, it could be Rattler's time to move on. And that's crazy, really, when you think about it. But I mean, a guy that's, you know, that, that in my opinion, also, you know, I still think, you know, I, I've been a fan of him when I was, when he was coming out of high school, he definitely made a turn for the worst, <laughs> but he seems to be kind of still, kind of still holding it down. And that's Bo Nix at Auburn. I don't love what he's doing as a passer. I don't think it's amazing. Um, but I do think that that dual threat may give people a little Davis Mills feeling and they may want to take a chance on a guy like him in the third round. 
And by Davis Mills, I don't mean the exact same player, more like the third round quarterback who could have some upside if he develops more. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where these guys go. And what's wild is we've seen guys come out of nowhere recently, right? Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson. We haven't seen many guys go the other way, right? Matt Barkley was a long time ago. It's not, it's rare for guys who are thought of as top five, top 10 picks to plummet to the point of not coming out or falling into the mid round or the day two range when they were so highly regarded when the season started. There's always those surprises that emerge, but it's rare that it goes the other way. And I think what this does open up the door for, we don't have to get into the the NFL side of this right now, is I think you're going to see teams in the NFL kind of hold steady for a little bit longer than maybe they ideally thought, right? Whether that's the Giants, you know, no matter how the rest of this year unfolds, not thinking about moving on from Daniel Jones just because of, are any of these guys definitively more talented than Daniel Jones? You know, Jalen Hurts is really struggling as a passer right now, really struggling. I know his fantasy stats tell a different story, but as a pure passer, if you watch Jalen Hurts right now, he is having major accuracy issues. That just could be who Jalen Hurts is at the next level. Eagles have three first-round picks. If they can't swing a trade for Deshaun Watson, are we sure they're going to jump into this group of quarterbacks? I'm not sure. And you can find other spots that that might be the same thing, right? Carolina went the the, the redemption plan to go with Sam Darnold. Maybe they give, you know, who's been playing okay, started out really good, a little bit inconsistent the last game or so. But, you know, do they buy another year with him? Do the Broncos move on, you know, do the Broncos hold tight with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, right? There's all these questions because there's a lot of uncertainty with this quarterback class. Is it just that people take a shot on round three or round four and see what you got? I don't know how many of these guys scream out, we're going to invest in this guy as he's the guy. Right now, it might just be somebody believing that that's Corral and that's Willis. And I'm not sure it's anybody else right now. The rest of the guys could end up just being day two, day three flyers, and let's see what we got. And that's wild because I think most people had penciled in Howell and Rattler, their top 10. Can anybody else join the party? And I've been saying since the summer when I did the quarterback preview that, yeah, there could be two guys that join the party in Willis and Corral. But I thought it was going to be more of like a group of four at the dinner table in the top 10, top 15. Never in my wildest dreams did I anticipate two guys being completely removed from that mix and maybe not even one, not even be in the draft and the other one, maybe fall all the way at around one. That's what makes it such a wild uh, situation. So quarterbacks, we're going to be talking about them a lot. We're going to be keeping our eyes on some of these under the radar guys who materializes, who has got their draft stock going up. Is it a Desmond Ritter? Is it a Bo Nix? I know some people really like Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. He seems to be a hot name. I got to do a little bit more of a deep dive on him before I kind of really share my thoughts on him because he's not a guy. He was on my watch list, but not a guy that I've watched close enough that I can share, you know, uh, a take on him just yet. But guys like that, we got to start kind of expanding it out a little bit. And it could really be teams are looking for specific traits and development that's going to be needed for these guys. If we take this to the skill position, one thing that jumped out at me going back to that Oklahoma-Texas game is 
I really thought Eric Gray was going to seize that backfield, similar to how Trey Sermon seized the backfield at Ohio State last year, late in the year from Master Teague. It's just not happening. If anything, Kennedy Brooks is re-seizing the backfield with a 25 carries this week for over 200 yards and two touchdowns, and Eric Gray only had six carries. So Gray was a guy who I really thought was going to push into maybe the round two mix dual capabilities, can catch the ball, can run the ball. And now, unless things change a lot down the stretch here, it's going to be hard for an NFL team to look at Eric Gray and think he's a guy who warrants a second-round pick or even an early third-round pick. Now, I still think Kennedy Brooks is a limited player, so I don't think this is a Kennedy Brooks now is seeing his stock rise. I still think he's a day-free type player. He lives in that Samaj P. Ryan world, and that's fine. It's a good, functional running back. So I don't think this is about how it impacts him, but I think what we're seeing going on in Oklahoma is going to hurt the draft stock of Eric Gray. Uh, Brian Robinson has kind of seized control of the Alabama backfield. A couple big weeks in a row this past week, 147 yards, and then surprisingly helping out with four catches and 60 yards uh, You know, out of the backfield. I think he's another day three type player. Chris Rodriguez out of Kentucky, intriguing player. Kentucky's having a really really solid year this year and guys like Wendell Robinson, who we've talked about a lot here over the years, his stock is on the rise, but I think Rodriguez is a guy who's going to start getting more notoriety at the running back position as a guy who could be in that round four mix only because we're not, we're seeing guys like Eric Gray not live up to expectations. We're seeing Kyron Williams at Notre Dame, not living up to expectations. We're seeing our guy that we love, Jerry and Ely, not make that huge strides that we thought maybe he was going to have a breakout season this year. So all of a sudden, yeah, you got Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller at the top. And and by, and for the record, it's not like those guys are, are, are having monster years either, but I still think they're going to be recognized as probably the top two backs in this class. But the door at the running back position is now going to be busted wide open. Now, I don't know if it just means we're not going to have a lot of day two backs, but now I think you're talking about guys like Brian Robinson, Kennedy Brooks. I don't think there's this massive gap anymore between the Eric Grays, the Kyron Williams, and the Jerry Neelys of the world to that next group of guys, right? The CJ Verdells, the Chris Rodriguez, the Zamir Whites, the, you know, the James Cooks. There's this big group of guys now that I don't know how many of those I, – I think we could see the, the least amount of running backs go in the top 100 coming up that we've had in quite some time, the way this is currently kind of unplaying this year. Any quick thoughts on the running backs before we just talk about a couple receivers? No, I, I love Brian Robinson. I, I've, I've been on the Brian Robinson. I hope he gets more work type of train. So to see him get that work is really is really incredible. So I'm excited for him and what he's been capable of doing. I do agree with you. I didn't see the fall of Eric Gray. I thought that was going to be an absolute seizing of the backfield on his part. And he just hasn't done that. But I will continue to talk. This is somebody that I've occasionally I've gotten a chance to pound the table for him on Twitter so I get an opportunity maybe here now to remind everybody, keep your eye on Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati. Jerome Ford is just categorically putting up solid weeks, week in and week out. When you look at what he's doing in that backfield, this is a guy who came out of high school playing multiple positions. He was a guy we were very excited about here at Saturday to Sunday, and we were really excited about what he could be once he really sol- you know, solidified his role at the collegiate level. Now, going to Alabama, you knew he was behind this absolute, you know, kind of 
cadre of backs where he would rarely get the opportunity to play at all. But now since the season began, he now is transferred obviously to Cincinnati. And I'm just going to give you some really just what from September. Ready? 12 for 121 in a touchdown. The following week, 18 carries, 113 yards and three touchdowns. 20 carries, 66 yards and two touchdowns. 17 for 71, no touchdowns. And then this week against Temple, 15 carries for 149 yards and two touchdowns. Now I know what you're about to say. Come on, Matt. I mean, that's, you know, against guys like, you know, Temple. And that's against, you know, teams that, you know, are a little bit, you know, weak, you know, like Miami of Ohio. I mean, going against the Red Hawks isn't exactly going against, you know, the Buckeyes. I hear you. But you also did this against some teams that that were pretty solid. I mean, some teams that do garner a little bit of support here in terms of their overall you know, thing like IU, he, he did against IU. He went, you know, 20 for 66 and two touchdowns against Notre Dame. He went 17 for 71. So, I mean, it's not like he's totally doing this against absolute, you know, terrible teams. So, I mean, I would just keep your eye on Jerome Ford again, not a player that's going to push his way into round one, nor is he going to push his way into round two, but I will tell you that he is a player that will surge potentially in round three and let me tell you for a guy that was going to be undrafted this is interesting five foot 11 220 pounds he's going to garner a little bit of a look and i i could see him surging yeah and the success that cincinnati's having as a team opens the door for him to draw more eyes towards him right and that we know we know we just know it's, it's all about opportunity wave riding the momentum and cincinnati playing in big games Cincinnati having a strong gear is going to turn more eyeballs towards this player. And I think it, it opens the door, especially with what we talked about, this running back class being very shaky after maybe the top for a guy like him to kind of emerge and, and be in the mix. So good name to bring up there. If we take it to the wide receivers, that's the one position where I kind of feel like we've we've remained a little status quo, Right. We can talk about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave every episode. We don't need to get back into them. They put up another two touchdowns each this week. Olave over 100 yards. Garrett Wilson over 80. They're going round one. Unless a catastrophic injury happens, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are probably going in the first round. Top 20, top 25 picks. Where I think it gets a little bit interesting is, and I mentioned this on the, the solo pod I did last week, Mel Kuyper is not in the business anymore of like truly evaluating film and breaking it down. He's more in the business now at this point of taking what he gathers and hears from his sources and relaying that to the public. That's, that's his, that's his thing now. So when you see him have Jahan Dotson at a Penn state, as high as he is. And now all of a sudden on a Saturday afternoon, a lot of people tweeting about Jahan Dotson. He was in my top 10 when the, when the year started explosive playmaker, vertical slot, ability to get deep, lots to like about Dotson. But Kuiper has him really high on his list. That's telling me that he's getting some people telling him the NFL loves this kid. So he's a guy that I think is rising up boards. Then you got the Alabama guys. We know John Mechie is a guy that's going to be probably either a round one or early round two pick. 
this is where I go back to the Kuiper thing again. Jamison Williams. He had Jamison Williams ahead of John Mechie on his wide receiver rankings that came out two weeks ago. Jamison Williams this past week, 10 catches, 146 yards, and two touchdowns. He's starting to be a guy that teams are looking at on the same level of Mechie, and they're starting to be worried about him. He's a guy who's emerged, right? We Alabama just produces wide receivers. And Jamison Williams has kind of emerged out of the shadows this year to be a legitimate star who now is going to be in the top two round mix. And who's to say? Is Kuyper hearing things that leads me to believe that he might go ahead of Mechie? It's in the cards now. It's at least worth discussing. Jamison Williams will be the first player that I add to the scouting notebook, hands down. Because I think he's going to be the highest drafted player that's not from the skill positions, the offensive players, who's not currently in the scouting notebook. Because he just keeps producing week in and week out. I talked about Wendell Robinson before. I think his stock is way up this year. Finally, focusing just on wide receiver, not that hybrid role. Really producing. Another eight catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. Then the other guy I want to bring up is Aeneas Smith out of Texas A&M, who had two touchdowns against Alabama this week. We're going to talk about this guy later, Kadarius Tony, when we get to the NFL portion of things. But Aeneas Smith is going to be this year's Kadarius Tony. His movement skills are just abnormal. But he's also going to have that contingency that's going to try to bring him down in the pre-draft process because he didn't have an early breakout age, because he didn't have a heavy market share. Because he was one of those guys that was used as an offensive weapon, part running back, part receiver, similar to Wendell Robinson. But now it's finally getting an opportunity to seize control as a full-time wide receiver, who you could still do other things with, for sure. But now focusing just his attention on wide receiver, and we're seeing him emerge into a star because he fits the modern NFL. You want to do different things with him. You want to do jet sweeps, you want to do end the rounds, you want to do screens, you want to do slants, you want yak ability, but you want a guy who can win vertically down the field. His movement skills are special. He's a guy whose stock is way on the rise. I'm really excited about this wide receiver class because you got the Ohio State guys, you got the Alabama guys, you got guys like Dotson, Aeneas Smith, and Wendell Robinson who are on the rise. Let's not forget we still got guys like Justin Ross, George Pickens. We'll see what happens with him coming off of the injury, right? We've talked a lot on this show, you know, uh, you know, about some of the other guys. You know, we haven't even talked a lot recently about Traylon Burks. You know, he's a beast. He reminds me so much of A.J. Brown coming out of Ole Miss. So we have that. You know, every single week, all we do is have uh, Drake London putting up 150 to 200 yards for USC. So this wide receiver class is really deep, really talented. Matt, any thoughts on either the Alabama guys, Dotson, uh, Aeneas Smith, Wendell Robinson? These are names that we've been talking about all year. So these are not new names, which goes back to my original point that things at the wide receiver position have kind of remained status quo. We haven't had anybody emerge out of nowhere. It's just kind of shuffling the deck a little bit. Jamison Williams is probably the only name that has emerged from, from the bottom, from the darkness into top 50 consideration. The rest has just kind of been reshuffling maybe what people think of these guys, but are guys that were highly regarded, guys who were in the top 50, top 100 mix earlier in the year, maybe just are moving up and down in terms of how high they can go. 
No, I mean, I think you did a lot of great things by talking about the players that you did. I think Wandale Robinson, for example, is a player that, you know, we've talked about on the show for, for a number of years. A guy who from, I, I remember him from, the, you know, his high school all-star games and how he showed out there. And now he's finally taking it home and becoming the player we thought he would be at Kentucky. And like, you know, it's just nice to see that, you know, not only is he developing, but he's also, you know, kind of emerging at the same time as the NFL really embracing the role and the the abilities that he could provide you. And I think that that's where it's exciting for him. And I, I can't wait to see him take his game to the next level. I think in Nia Smith, same thing. I, I think it's somebody for sure to keep on your mind. And I think that there's an opportunity here for that there to occur. And I think you brought up a really good point at the end about Justin Ross and George Pickens. I mean, those are guys that could stun towards the end of the year in big games and recapture all the glory that they had. It's very possible because to every, and I, and I understand this, you know, we're the first here at Saturday to Sunday to be about it's a space game. We don't believe in profiles and standardized approaches to drafting and to scouting. We just don't buy into it. We think it's, it's just bogus. You, you grade the player on the way he actually plays and you look at what he can do on the field, but I'm not going to tell you for a hot second. If you see a guy who's six, five, that can do things that a five eleven guy can do. People don't get a little excited about that. And Justin Ross and George Pickens are those caliber of talents that just could potentially, you know, uproot everybody and be one of the top four or five receivers off the board. They have that potential. Yeah. I mean, both those guys, it's all about the injuries, right? Ross, yeah. we're going to get a chance to see. I, unless, you know, unless Pickens can somehow make it back before like the playoffs or something. I, yeah, you know, I just don't I, see. I, I don't see that happening. No. So Pickens is going to be a guy that's going to have to make a tough decision. Do you come back to school and risk another injury? But if you come back to school and you dominate, do you push yourself into like the top 20 mix next year? Or do you come out even in a really strong class and say, yeah, I'll probably be somewhere taken, you know, as a, a round three player or late round two guy and then, you know, see what happens there. It's going to be a tough call for Pickens. I think Ross has an opportunity. Now, Ross is getting really hurt by the fact that Clemson is having such a poor offensive year that he's had some moments of greatness, but you would have thought it was almost like a week in and week out thing. So I think the the stretch run for Justin Ross to the season, it's going to be very important to pre-draft medicals as well. Let's take this right over to the Devi slant report for this week. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago, right? And, and I think it was you who said there's going to be ups and downs. Well, CJ Stroud is, is now trajectorying back up for the Buckeyes. You know, 406 <laughs> yards this week, five touchdowns. We like him again. Does yeah. everybody hear this? Like, yeah. he's okay. Yeah, like, and, and it just goes to show you these young players are going to have ups and downs. Like, you know, it, it's just human nature, but he's a guy that should be a still a very hot item in the Devi community. Is there a lot of young underclassmen quarterbacks that you'd rather have ahead of C.J. Stroud? I mean, obviously, Bryce Young, we've talked a lot about DJ, you know, out of Clemson. I don't know what's going on with him, but Stroud's right there in the mix after those guys, right? So he's he's a guy that don't let some a, a game or two of a rough patch impact what you think about him. 
And then I want to bring this up to you because I talked a little bit about last week. And I mean, the monster game that B. John Robinson have, some of the moves that he had this week, you know, were just, you know, they were on a level that you just don't see too often. And I think it's starting to be more universally thought that it's B. John Robinson and it's Travion Henderson is potentially the top two dynasty running backs right now in Devi. And obviously none of them are draft eligible, right? Which, but they're both explosive runners who also impact the game in pass catching. So for me, I adjusted it, right? Tank Bigsby's not had as good a year. He's not as utilizing the passing game. So for me, it's Robinson and Henderson now that kind of sit at the top of my Debbie running back ranks before I get into the guys who are draft eligible this year, like the Brees Hall, the Isaiah Spillers, and then you got the Jameer Gibbs, and, and then you got Tank Bigsby in there. But my question really for you is if you have any thoughts on Henderson, share them. But we're getting to the point now where you have to start to ask the question, is Bijan Robinson, when he comes out, what are people going to look at him as? Because are we going to see, and I didn't know if we were going to see another running back go top 10 with all the negativity about the Saquon pick, the devaluing of running backs in the NFL. I thought we might just live with the best running back every year going somewhere in that 15 or more likely 20 to 30 range where Najee Harris went, where Josh Jacobs went. But you watch B. John Robinson, and I mean, we were the biggest Najee Harris fans there were. But you watch B. John Robinson, and it's hard not to say, this guy's going to be like on a Saquon level. But what does that mean? Does that mean he can go top two, top five with the way the NFL thinks? But do you think, do you put him on that special level where his talent actually warrants consideration in the top 10, even in the current landscape of how the NFL views running backs? Or do you put him more at where did Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs of the world? Because every time I watch him, it's hard for me not to think his talent level has now rise to the point where we thought of Saquon Barkley, that here at Saturday, Sunday, it might be Saquon Barkley, the best running back we've evaluated and scouted, B. John Robinson by next year, number two. Am I, am I, am I heaping his praise too much? Or do you think that this is that's a trajectory we're going towards? No, I, I absolutely think that's a trajectory that we might be on. Um, he's that good. And and he's been that good since high school. He's been that good since his first year in Texas. Um, he's special, man. And by special, let, let's just really put a fine point on it. He has an unbelievable sensitivity for space. He has an unbelievable sensitivity to the obstacles, the other players, the other pursuit angles of players in space, whether he's along the sideline, whether he's between the tackles, there's just not a, there's just not a, a constraint that you can put on space that would really completely, you know, destabilize his ability to find a solution. You know, he's really just that good. And for me, He's a guy that I, you know, went all in when he was a freshman and I made sure that out of high school, I had him, I took him above guys that were, I think I took him ahead of at the time. I think I took him ahead of, um, uh, I think I had the opportunity to go and grab Najee in one place. And I think I, I actually think I let it go 
because I was like, I don't need a running back right now. I'm going to grab, I'm going to grab Bijan because I think he's a better talent. And that's, and that's crazy because I liked Najee Harris and I still think Najee Harris has yet to find his stride. So, I mean, in the NFL, I think, I think us saying this sounds like, wow, it sounds like you guys are low on Najee in some reason. We're not. I think this is more of a testament to how good we think Bijan is, not how bad or how much we don't like what Najee's doing in Pittsburgh right now. This is more to me about how good Bijan is, if that's right. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it is. It's not about it's just his we still love Najee Harris, but Najee Najee Harris, I feel like there's a back pretty comparable to Najee Harris most years, right? Whether the year before it was the Jonathan Taylors, you know, the J.K. Dobbins of the world. Like, there was good running backs in that class. Najee Harris was a good running back. Josh Jacobs was a good running back. Very good running back. B. John Robinson just looks like he's going to come into the league and there's going to be words and adjectives that are meaningless, but they're fun to use. Special, rare, elite. He just, you talk about space, you talk about putting defenses in tough spots. B. John Robinson's going to have the ability to do that, not just as a runner, but also as a receiver. And I think those are the guys who are, who when you're special and you're a home run threat and you can win in a variety of ways, those are the running backs that'll still get pushed into the top 10. The other ones won't. But I think B. John Robinson is an offensive weapon that can a, an offense can be built around in terms of the focal point. And I think he's I think he's on that trajectory to be right there with Saquon as the one A, one B best runners we've ever scouted here at Saturday Sunday. I think that's where this is going. So well, uh, I, I just think that I really like the way you just said that right there. I do think it's about guys that you can build an offense around. Could Bijan be a guy you could build an offense around? And I think the answer is yes. I will say that we should learn, though, from Saquon. And we should learn from the way Saquon was deployed with both the injuries and also the scheme that was put around him. You know, he's a cautionary tale, though, about how landing spot will always matter. And I think that's the the big the big warning sign here for anybody that goes into the draft. We could tell you how good we think they can be, but it all depends upon where they end up going. And I think that's something that Saquon, unfortunately, is teaching us every week. Yeah, and I mean, listen, Najee Harris, you talked about before, he hasn't really found this footing yet, but that's partially because of the landing spot, right? Ben Roethlisberger looks shot. The offensive line is terrible in Pittsburgh. And you're right. Some guys land in situations. Christian McCaffrey, since the minute he's gotten into Carolina, they have had a clear plan of how he's going to be most effective. They find a way to get him in space. They know what runs he's best at, and he's effective. The Giants have not done that with Saquon Barkley. So we don't we don't have to go into a big diatribe about the Giants, but they haven't done that. They haven't put him. They've tried to make him Derrick Henry at times, and they have not tried to make him a space player. And anybody who watched Saquon Barkley, knows he was a space player at Penn State who just happened to be six feet, you know, six one, two hundred and thirty-three pounds. Who could squat a ton. Yeah. Who could squat a but, ton. But, and I've but, seen videos. But his game, his game was that of a space player. 
Right. Saquon was game was that of a space player. The Giants at times have tried to make him a between the tackles interior power runner who occasionally bumps it outside. They haven't utilized his pass catching ability enough. They haven't put him in space. They haven't created that environment for him yet. They just haven't. And he had the unrealistic expectations of going to, to a team that needed a quarterback, to a team that had a ton of holes. There's been this exorbitant pressure of him not living up to it because of the Giants, you know, poor surrounding cast have also made him. And let's be honest, he has suffered multiple injuries, multiple serious injuries that has missed a lot of time. Another one this week. We'll see how long he's out. So that the poor usage has added to the cautionary tale of Saquon, but right here with B. John, we're just talking about the the physical freakness, the talent level at college, and B. John is on that level of what we thought about Saquon coming out. So it's going to be fun to watch him for another year. He's one of those guys that probably wishes there was not an age uh, limit to come out because there's really no reason for him to go back to school as a running back. If he was eligible, he'd be the first running back taken. He'd go top 10, top 15 this year, and he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be in the inevitable position of Every time he touches the ball next year, you're going to kind of, you know, hold your breath and hope that an injury doesn't wreck what this, what should be a really promising career at some point in the NFL. Let's take this right over to the NFL rookie report for this week. Lot to talk about here. I'll start with the quarterbacks, Matt. Trey Lance, first game under center, looked like a rookie quarterback, did a lot with his legs, 89 yards rushing, very shaky as a passer, 15 of 29, 192 yards, an interception. Listen, he's one of those guys, the ceiling is sky high, but coming from a lower level school, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. And we see that. But the thing I will talk about is Kyle Shanahan put him in a situation to at least be successful, right? Getting him on the run, taking advantage of that athleticism, the polar opposite of what they're doing in Chicago with Justin Fields. Once again, no rushes. Three carries for four yards, almost no design runs, almost no RPOs, no, you know, letting him play the way that he should be playing right now. They're being super conservative with him, trying to ask him to be a traditional pocket passing quarterback, running the Andy Dalton scheme. You know, they won this week, the Bears, and had a big upset over the Raiders, but not a lot, not mostly due to Justin Fields. I mean, that was more just the the defense, and they still have the training wheels on, and they're just not putting him in a situation to be successful right now. The fantasy explosion we thought these young rookie quarterbacks might have this year just doesn't look like it's going to be there yet anyway. We'll see if down the stretch. Uh, Zach Wilson, I watched every minute of that game in London the other night. Zach Wilson has some wow moments, but he has right now his decision-making and his progression reading and his comfort level are really, really struggling. Like besides the few wow bros, he looks like every game. If he, if he had four interceptions, I could see it because he's lucky to come out of most games, not having four interceptions. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, a ho-hum week, still waiting for him to have a breakout moment. Jacksonville is, is kind of spiraling there as well. Uh, any quick thoughts on the quarterbacks? Please let Justin Fields play his game. That's my love letter signed by me to Chicago. You're welcome. 
Yeah, and, and we talked about it last week. There's not a lot much more analysis to go into. Like, let him be him. And it, it's just amazing that you took the – you used the draft capital. You traded up, you know, from 20 to 10. You got the – or 20 to 11. You wanted this guy. You gave up a future first-round pick. To not have an offense ready for him for when he had to take over just seems like coaching malpractice. And, and I don't understand it. And it's going to be something we'll see. You know, he's been named the starter now moving forward. We'll see if things change. Uh, but right now, they're not letting him play his game. Uh, if we take this to the running back position, Trey Sermon looks like he's clearly behind Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell, nine carries this week. Trey Sermon, one carry. So that's one of those stunning developments that we've been talking about since week one. But the guy I wanted to bring up, Matt, I know you've been a fan of him. And this is the week. This is the week to go get Kenneth Gainwell on your dynasty teams. Because last week, he only had three touches. I bet by the end of Thursday night, I bet he's a heavy part of the game plan against the Tampa Bay Bucks this upcoming week. I think the stock will be much higher Thursday night, about midnight, than it is right now. I think Gainwell is going to be a guy who can live on that RB2, RB3, PPR range moving forward after this year. I think the writing is on the wall of how much they like him. I'm not going to go crazy because he is a fifth-round running back with a little draft capital, but I think Nick Sarini looks at him like him very much like Naheem Hines, and Naheem Hines plus more of rushing capability than Naheem Hines with the same receiving capabilities. So I think you you waited for that slow week. You couldn't buy him off the week when he got like double-digit touches. Now's the week to go aggressively buy Kenneth Gainwell, uh, I'll throw in the tight ends real quick. Ken, uh, Kyle Pitts, his breakout game this week in London. Maybe it was something to do with Calvin really not being there, but he's he's starting to morph into that guy who we know can be an impact player. Any thoughts on either Pitts or Gainwell? No, I, I well, I think Gainwell, the writing's been on the wall, right? I mean, everything since the summer. I mean, Paul can attest to it. How many times did I ask to trade for him from his team? <laughs> Way before any of this happened, I was like, please give him to me. Come on. Come on, I'll go. I'll throw you this pick. I'll throw you that pick. No, no, no. I don't, I don't know. I can't give him up. He's like fifth running back on my team. You know, he, he gives me all the reasons. But point being is, is that you have to go and push the door down if you think that he's going to be a player that I think he can be, which is he can be your RB three on a dynasty team for the foreseeable future, if not more. And that I think is his floor. An RB three, which means he's giving you, you know, ten to fifteen touches, an assortment of you know, things that are happening for him. And I think he's going to give you 10 to 15 touches on the regular, if not more on some weeks. And I think he's going to get you a couple touchdowns, you know, not necessarily in the same week, but he could get a touchdown every couple weeks and he could be giving you 10 to 12 points a week. And that could be what he is this year. And that's amazing. And I think that's a guy who he can be for his career, if not more. And I think it's time to go and pay for those guys because right now, how many of you were scrambling to go and get a player when your running back went down? I know I was when McCaffrey went down. And now, you know, now if you went Montgomery got down for you, you know you were scrambling to get Damian Williams if he was available, right? So I think I think getting these players that you know are direct backups, guys that are seeing the field now that you know are going to get the lion's share of the carries. I'll give you a guy that's for free right now. Go get Jared Patterson. He's free right now. He's free. He's free, absolutely free. I'm going to tell you right now, I love Antonio Gibson. I get a sneaky suspicion, and don't I have no nothing to back this up. I have a sneaky suspicion Antonio Gibson 
will end up being a player that gives the majority of the snaps, the majority of the running for, for, for the foreseeable future. But next year, I could see Jared Patterson, McKissick goodbye. I could see Jared Patterson becoming another player like a Gainwell next year, working in tandem with Antonio Gibson. Yeah, I mean, and it's clear that Washington doesn't want to fully unleash Antonio Gibson. He's playing with a, a pretty significant injury, so yeah, at, some, at some point they may shut. Rest. Yeah, at some point they may shut him down as the year you know starts to spiral out. Patterson is a great stash right now. I know I I I, I put him uh, where I could because I do think he's an intriguing guy to have on a deep dynasty roster right now for sure. If we take this to the wide receivers, I mean, Jamar Chase, I mean, remember when the preseason was around, he couldn't play, right? He couldn't catch the NFL size football. Like people were actually worrying about. He got the Bryce Young treatment. Yeah. He got the Bryce Young and uh, (laughs) what's it? Yeah. He got that type of treatment, right? And now, and now like all he does is catch like 50 to 70 yard touchdowns every week. I think the bigger question is like how high should even be an overall dynasty wide receiver ranks because He's already dominating and, the, you know, he's 21 years old. The sky's the limit for him uh, living up to everything that most people thought he was going to be at this level. Uh, Terrace Marshall is a guy we've been big fans of here. I think there's a great buy low window. We talked about the buy low window on Kenneth Gainwell. I think the buy low window is even lower right now for Terrace Marshall. Uh, Robbie Anderson has not really, you know, done much this year. I could see Terrace Marshall developing there. Not this year, maybe next year, even the year after. But I think eventually he could be the second best wide receiver there after DJ Moore. And right now he's not going to cost you a lot with, with, with the lack of production he's done. So I think Marshall is an intriguing guy. Uh, Jalen Waddle struggling to have big output. I know he was getting a lot of targets, but they were very much uh, low A dot, not much yak, not much down the field. They got to wait to get Tua back to see if they can kind of jumpstart that offense. But the guy, you know, if you've been listening to the show since, you know, draft night, uh, you knew I was going to bring him up. We've talked about him a little bit. But the, the topic of conversation this week is it should be about Kadarius Tony because there are times that we here will take a victory lap. We did it with Josh Allen. We did it with Alvin Kamara. We did it with Calvin Ridley. But we kind of do it when we feel like there's been so much unwarranted despise and hatred and so over the top one way that we feel the need to kind of take that victory lap, right? Well, it took Kadarius Toney two weeks of actually being a part of the offense. Because I'm not even counting the first three weeks when his snap count was like under 10 and he barely was involved in the offense. It took Kadarius Tony two weeks to give an L to every person that said he was a gadget player. He didn't deserve to go in round one. The giants weren't creative enough to use him. He should be going in rookie drafts in the late second round after third round and fourth round running backs like Michael Carter and Trey Sermon and Amon Ross St. Brown should go ahead of him. And, you know, Amari Rogers and Josh Palmer, some people, all these guys. And it took them two weeks to show what I've been saying is one, don't discount how important draft capital is. We keep going back to it. The NFL thought it was around one pick. Not just the Giants, the Saints, the Packers, the Jaguars, all were connected to him. 
if you watched his movement skills, they were rare and they were special just from watching his Florida film. We knew he was unrefined as a route runner, still learned the position. But the analytics community said, late breakout age, not enough market share, not taking the context into it about he didn't play full-time wide receiver until last year. He lit the SEC on fire. He was good at the senior bowl. NFL teams wanted him. Round one capital, the fourth wide receiver off the board, and people just wanted to keep saying he was a bust. He's only a gadget player. Why is a gadget player going there? Well, Matt's been saying it for years. It's all about spacing. It's all about putting the defense, causing the defense conflict. Kadarius Tony does that. And what you watched this week was a guy who, yeah, he did plenty of yak stuff. That's still going to be his bread and butter, probably for the foreseeable future. But you saw him put a move on Trayvon Diggs, who's right now playing maybe the best cornerback in the NFL, a really strong route. You saw multiple really good routes this week that still are going to get better. You saw him win down the field vertically twice and go up and make the catch at the catch point with showing good body control, the ability to adjust. And 10 catches, 189 yards. And if he doesn't get ejected, he probably goes over 200. And it's just one of those things that pre-draft bias, the night of the draft bias, group think, created a world where this guy wasn't going in the first round of rookie drafts and wasn't even going in some leagues in the top half of round two. And now I think the question becomes, where would he go today? Because I think you can make the case after Jamar Chase, is his ceiling higher than Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle? It might be. It might be. So a guy that was going after Amon Ross St. Brown, a guy that was going after Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, guys who I all really like. Two weeks into really playing, the, the case might be made that he should now be looked at at worst case scenario, the fourth best rookie receiver, if you want to put the Alabama guy still ahead of him. But he may have more upside than those guys. Still learning the position. Still developing. His movement, stop-start ability, is something that it looks like a video game. It, it truly does look like a video game. He's making world-class athletes fall over and trip over themselves and make them miss like, like he's playing like on rookie, you know, rookie mode on, on, on Madden. So how high? I don't know. I know I moved them to fourth in my wide receiver rookie rankings. Still put the Alabama guys. But I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do that. And overall, you can make the case after Jamar Chase, after Kyle Pitts, after Najee Harris, he's right in the mix overall with the rookies. Somewhere in the four to six range. And depending on where you want to throw the quarterbacks in. So right now, in a re, you redo your rookie drafts, he's probably going in the top six picks. Maybe it's high three or four. Maybe it's high four. He was going in the middle of the second round, late second round in rookie drafts. Don't discount draft capital. Don't overvalue analytics, especially when they don't take into the context. Look at the film. Matt came on here and told you he was the best mover. He was the best mover. Hands down. Finally, get an opportunity to play and look what he's done the last two weeks. 
Matt, you thoughts know on Kadarius? Yeah, I mean, I just had to pick it up right there. I mean, people will say to me, like, well, what do you mean he's the best mover? Aren't all these guys pretty good movers? Uh, okay. That's why we choose to use that word, and we always choose to use that word to encapsulate what we're talking about, which is he was the best problem solver with the ball in his hands. He was the best ball carrier. He was the best, most elusive player with the ball in his hands, period, in this class. Period. There was no other player who could move like him in this class with the ball in his hands. There was no other ball carrier that could move in space like him. And, uh, Paul, I would even go as far to say, I don't even know in the last class if there was anybody that could do this. So, I mean, we're talking a very special player with the ball in his hands. Well, he can't really run routes. How are you going to get him the ball? Honestly, I think we used, and I said this on Twitter, I think we used the term gadget player as a convenient cop-out when we don't necessarily understand how he could be possibly challenging our own biases and understandings of the game. We tend to think getting the ball in his hands means one of two things. You got to throw it to him or he's got to be in the backfield. All right. Well, you're kind of right, but can he start out and can he start as a wide receiver, then go on jet sweeps into the backfield? Can he be on the outside and not be a player that we have to necessarily throw deep to, but maybe use on screen passes? He doesn't have to be this guy that, you know, getting the ball in his hands doesn't have to be this, 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 you know, this calculus that we have to do on a piece of scrap paper to figure it out. Give him the ball. Just get him the ball quickly in space and let him go to work. And he did that. And he did it to the tune of almost 200 yards before getting kicked out. Now, I do think that seeing where he goes from here is a big, big telltale sign. Do I think he's one of the top players in this class? Do I think his ceiling is immensely high? Hands down. Would I put the wide receivers from Bama ahead of him? Still, yeah. I probably would. I keep Chase. I keep those guys, and then I put Tony up there. Is it because I'm down on the other guys? No, it's because this guy is just that special, and he just proved it to everybody because he did it against NFL talent. So, Kadarius Tony is a guy where I'm going to tell you right now. I think you could still get him from people because people are going to look at this and say, "Buy, sell high, sell high, sell high." The draft capital's there, but. He didn't play well the first three weeks. He's, you know, potentially, he's potentially a head case from everybody. Everybody was out. They'll say, oh, there was no Galladay. There was no Shepard. There was no Galladay comes back. Yep. Yeah. This is the time. I think you could probably get him still for a song. And I'm going to tell you, I would pay a first round pick next year for him. I would go that high. Now, people say, you're nuts. Why? That's not a bargain. It's not a bargain, but I value him there. I would go and pay a first round this year for him. Now you'd say, well, look at all the guys you're giving up. I don't know. Garrett Wilson. I love Garrett Wilson, but I think, I think he's just as good of a mover than Garrett Wilson. He's not the same route runner, but that's just one way to define movement skill. I think his movement skill in the open field eclipses what Garrett Wilson does. I think he's a better mover in the open field with the ball in his hands than Olave is. I don't think there's a player right now, maybe Wandale Robinson has some of the things he could do, but it's a very distant second, third, fourth to him. But I do see that type of that type of open field agility. But Kadarius Tony, for a guy who never played wide receiver, to just lighting the SEC on fire, to just lighting up an NFL defense, 
in a diminished wide receiving core, meaning everybody was pretty sure who was getting the ball, pretty certain after, you know, pretty sure they were all pretty sure sooner or later who was going to get the ball. It wasn't a big secret, and he still put up almost 200 yards. Yeah, I mean, what he does when the ball's in his hands, like, you don't see many guys do that. Like, there's not many. You can't make a list even of NFL guys. Like who who does the things that he does? Like you know, I don't want to I don't want to sit here because he's not the complete player or the straight vertical ability of Tyreek Hill. But Tyreek Hill does some crazy movement stuff, right? He's one of the best movers in the league, even after the catch, even if it's a short stuff. You know, when he got the ball in his hands, is it is it Barry Sanders? Like like that's the guys. Is it LaShawn McCoy in his prime? Like those yeah. are the guys that jump out at me. And we're just talking about moving with the ball, making people miss. We're not talking about he's going to be a Hall of Famer or anything like that. Yeah, no, 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 because no. it's way too soon. We're no, just no, no. talking about with the ball in his hands, who else on our short list moves and does the things he does. It's LaShawn McCoy at his absolute best would make people look foolish. It's Barry Sanders. It's Tyree Kill. I'm just talking mo- moving with the ball, making people miss, and 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 and, do- and having that level of impact after he's got the ball in his hands. And j- that, that alone doesn't make you a complete player. It doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. It doesn't do anything. But that stop-start ability, that movement, that problem-solving ability with the ball in his hands, is on a really rare special level. If the route running and the route understanding comes along for the ride and becomes good or very good, yeah, then we're talking about an elite, elite, elite level player. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But it's clear people were devaluing him and not taking into account that he had some spare, special, rare treats. Uh, treats traits just in the <laughs> happy <game>. Halloween, Paul <laughs> trick or treat Kadarius, Tony, welcome to the giants. Yeah. And, and, and if you're a giants fan right now, this is all you really got to be excited about. It, it's that it's sad that that's where we're at as giants fans, but, but I think, I, but I do think he, he warrants watching the game. He makes you want to maybe watch this week's game when they get blown out by the Rams, I'm sure. But he's a, he's now must see TV because yeah. of what he can do with the ball in his hands. Not and, a and lot I, of guys. No, and, and I'll leave it here. I think I want to put a fine point on it because I think being that many many people know we are Giants fans, they may feel the homerism, so to speak, coming through, but it, it's not. It, we're really just saying is special movement skill, definitely not a Hall of Famer by any caliber. <laughs> we're not trying to compare him. He's like kind of a little bit like Barry Sanders, but maybe not as good as LaShawn McCoy. No, no, we're we're just saying is that he emulates some of the ways in which they were successful in the league. He's showing glimpses of that right now. And it's the same way he was successful in college. Those movement skills he showed in college are translating at a very, very nice level to the NFL. And that alone makes it really interesting to see where his ceiling could go. I would still pay a first round pick for him. I would yeah. consider it. 
For sure. I, I think a lot of people would after what they saw, but you still might get the people who are very heavy into analytics. Yeah. You may get the people who are holding there. Listen, look how long it hey, took. Reality is not going anywhere. We're still in Shepard going. Like they're gonna they're yeah. gonna use that argument. And and look how long it took Josh Allen to break down the pre-draft bias, right? It took it took a year, a, a two years for him to break down the pre-draft bias. He had one bad game to start the year, and people were already calling, Oh, it's the regression. Josh Allen's going back to the old Josh Allen, and then he's been absolutely on fire. So you're going to find some people that might have that pre-draft bias still who still just want to go with the group thing that said this guy wasn't going to be good. This guy wasn't going to be a bust before he ever stepped on the football field. Yeah, so, down. yeah. So check in. Check in with the owner. Make sure he's valuing him as a first-round pick because if he's not, you should pull the trigger on that. Real quick, Matt, because we're going long here. Dynasty fantasy report for this week. I have a couple big ticket items I'm going to run through real quick. You can pick any of, of the of the of it that you want to talk about. But a couple of things I want to talk about. One, I think we were so quick to rise up the new rookie quarterbacks, and most dynasty rankings had them ahead of a guy like Joe Burrow. And I think we have to reassess things. Joe Burrow was a very special quarterback prospect in his own right. He showed last year that he can compete at the NFL level and be successful. He's performing very well now, right now, that I think we maybe have to reassess where Joe Burrow fits in with the new rookie quarterbacks and say, wait a minute, this guy was the number one pick in the draft. He's got some mobility. He, you know, he's not Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but he's got some mobility on an Andrew Luck level type level uh, when Luck was in the league. He's putting up big numbers. He's really young. Why shouldn't he be ahead of those guys who haven't proven anything yet? So I think that's a legitimate question that we should be asking ourselves. Sticking with the quarterbacks. I think we're at the point now where we have four quarterbacks who can be considered the number one quarterback in dynasty quarterback rankings. I think the gap now isn't Patrick Mahomes and then everybody else. I now think you can make the strong argument as we see Kansas City have some pitfalls this year. I don't think there's much of a a separation anymore between Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, and Lamar Jackson. Just when everybody's been ready to criticize Lamar Jackson, guess what, guys? He's gotten better. He's gotten way better. He's gotten way better as a thrower. That's a scary thought for the NFL, that he's gotten better as a thrower and he's developed and improved because you know he's got the running. You know Kyler Murray's got the running. You know Josh Allen's got the running and the touchdowns. So all of those guys have the running card that Patrick Mahomes really doesn't have, but they're all developing into really good passers as well. So I don't think there's much of a separation anymore between those guys. And if somebody wants to tell me they'd rather have one of those guys over Patrick Mahomes, I'm not there yet. I still have Mahomes at one. But I think the I think the margin between one, two, three, and four is razor thin. Razor thin. I wouldn't blame, I would not put up a strong argument if somebody said I want I'd rather have Lamar Jackson for the next three years than Patrick Mahomes. I'd rather have Kyler Murray. I'd rather have Josh Allen. Because I think for the next three to five years, it's a very up-in-the-air conversation. I think all four of them warrant consideration for the first quarterback in dynasty rankings for sure. Uh, And then the last big-ticket item that I want to hit on this week, and we'll save some of the other ones uh, for next week, is I think the time might be now to buy running backup running backs or guys that we call handcuffs now who are starting to develop potentially some standalone value I think the time might be right now to go out and try to buy, even if you got to overpay a little bit, 
guys like Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, and A.J. Dillon. Because they may get an opportunity either where they currently are to seize more of the workload moving forward next year, the year after. They may move on at some point and get an opportunity on their second contract. But these guys are really talented players. Every time Pollard touches the ball, all he does is make a big play for Dallas. Every time Alexander Madison has to start for Dalvin Cook, he's the only he's the entire focal point of the offense. And for the most part, the last couple of weeks, he's looked great. A.J. Dillon starting to develop into a dual backfield there with Green Bay. I know they re-signed you know, Aaron Jones, so he's going to be there a while. But I think you're going to see A.J. Dillon continue to get more and more work there that – while they're still deemed backups, while they're still deemed playing behind stars, right? Not just good players, stars. Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, and Aaron Jones. I think now might be the time to go get these guys on your dynasty roster because their time may be coming down the line and they still can give you value now, right? The starter gets hurt, they're league winners. The starter doesn't get hurt, Tony Pollard can be a flex right now. He could be an RB3, RB4 for you. Same thing with A.J. Dillon. Alexander Madison, a little bit less of that because they're very much a one-back team. But who knows? Dalvin Cook has suffered injuries. Who's to say that moving forward, they don't start letting Madison work in a little bit? So I'd go try to get those guys in my dynasty team now. I think Joe Burrow maybe should be ahead of the rookie quarterbacks right now in dynasty looks. I think that the, the, the rankings from one through four is thinner and smaller margin than it's ever been before, you know, in terms of dynasty. And I wouldn't make a strong argument if somebody wants to put one of those other three guys over Patrick Mahomes right now at this point. I think those are the three big things that I gathered from this weekend, Matt. Any thoughts on anything of what I said or if there was something else out there in, in terms of dynasty you wanted to share? Yeah, I mean, I, the the one thing I'll add to this discussion is because I'm currently living it in real time. Um, the absolute chasmatic black hole that is the tight end position. There is few and far between a handful of players that separate that position across the board. In other words, you have a market advantage if you have Travis Kelsey. You'll have a market advantage over your opponent if you have Mark Andrews. You'll have a market advantage over your opponent if you have Kyle Pitts potentially. You got to start anticipating what you're going to do with that position as time goes forward. Try to play the streaming game. Paul can tell you firsthand watching me toil away at this all year. You try to play the streaming game. You end up getting burned. I'm going to tell you with your oh so precious draft capital, you may want to consider going out there and making a move for a tight end. If the tight ends are anywhere on sale, like I would go and see what I can do. And now you're saying, well, who would you go after that? That you could even afford. And that's a great question. There's not many you can afford, but if you're looking for guys that are sneaky, I still think the Evan Ingrams and OJ Howards of the world are sneaky because those are guys that I don't necessarily think will see and realize their potential where they are, but they're guys that could find their second win and more somewhere else. So that's a back of the bench end of the bench type of thing. Now, obviously Evan Ingram is still a starter for many people given what we were talking about earlier. Be mindful of the guys like O.J. Howard that are sitting out there, Moali Coxes of the world, 
guys that have the potential where you can stash them on a bench and wait. Because let's be honest, it's a very tough position to find any value right now. Anybody that's worth anything is going to cost you an arm and a leg. So go and play the streaming. Go and get the waiver wires. Maybe David Njoku doesn't get picked up, right? Maybe that's who they end up going. Right now, it's pretty – what's exactly going on in Cleveland as wide receivers go? I have no clue. But maybe David Njoku's your guy. Maybe he ends up being the guy. I I would highly, highly, highly recommend and consider thinking about the tight end position as a stasher at the end of the bench. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up David Njoku there because don't look now. David Njoku is starting to work his way back into the thick of things in Cleveland. And if not, he's another one of those guys that came out, came into the league very unrefined, very raw, that he could be a guy who finds his second home and really seizes control over it and gets an opportunity. So that whole class, right? Ingram, the Joker. Yeah, it's the whole class. None of them have lived up to what we thought they were going to be yet. But we often see tight ends not find their way to significant value in terms of fantasy sometimes until they, they're second How old contract. is Darren Waller? Darren Waller is like 31 years old. I don't. Waller's younger than that. Kelsey's up there, but I mean Waller was a guy who was a who played wide receiver, bounced around teams for a while, and didn't really start performing until like he didn't start performing at twenty two or twenty three. He was like twenty five or twenty six before he got an opportunity, right? And now I think he's somewhere in his is like late twenties, maybe like twenty eight or twenty nine. But you know, but he's somewhere up there because he had to kind of wait it out, right? He You're bounced right. He's around. 20, he's he's twenty nine years old. And I mean, he, for the most part, we can argue what for the last three years. So since he's been about 27, 26, yeah. this is when he got his time. And right now, Evan Ingram, OJ Howard, David Njoku, they're right about that 24, 25, 26 range. So they're coming into that window of that next phase or opportunities that could amount. Yeah. And listen, we've seen with other guys, Eric Ebron was kind of a bust in Detroit, had his best year once he left Detroit. You know what I mean? There's other instances of tight ends you know, getting second chances, moving somewhere else and, and being better down the line. And these guys are all have really good athletic profiles, right? That's, that's the thing. So they're going to get chances. These guys are going to eventually move on and someone's going to get it. Someone's going to give, I mean, Evan Ingram, another chance to be a starter. Someone's going to give OJ Howard a chance to be a starter, because like you said, there's not a lot of good tight ends out there and there's not a lot of difference makers in terms of the passing game. And that's what people want, right? People want someone to be a difference maker because when you have a difference maker at the tight end position, it just changes everything. So if there's guys that you think could be difference makers, get them on your team, stash them down at the bottom of your roster and, and kind of wait it out. So I think that's a good strategy. Take chances on guys like Mo Ali Cox. Donald Parham is another really intriguing yeah. one. You know, he start anytime he plays, he seems like he performs better than Jared Cook. You know, he's a guy that lets, you know, I, I, I would love to buy pieces in that offense. You know, Justin Herbert is playing at an elite, elite level. Uh, Donald Parham could be an intriguing guy. You know, uh, Dan Arnold looks like he's emerging there. You mentioned him, I think, last week. I think you mentioned Dan Arnold on here. And now Jacksonville looks like he's going to be the guy for a little bit. So he's a guy, you know, so interesting guys. Stash him on your team at the tight end position. So there it is, guys. Dynasty Fantasy Report this week. Uh, We went for the NFL Rookie Report. A lot of Kadarius Tony talk, Trey Lance talk, Kent Gainwell talk. Uh, 
We did the Dynasty. I mean, we did the Devi Slant Report where we talked about B. John Robinson, his upside. And then obviously the NFL Rookie Report where we had a lot of conversation about the quarterbacks. You know, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Matt Corral, those guys, the wide receivers. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed all four segments tonight, guys. If you are enjoying this, please get over to the website, SS Football. Quickest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab. Best way to support us, check out our premium notebooks, guys. For $9.99, you get access to all three notebooks. Uh, You know what they are. Scouting notebook, draft projections notebook, rankings notebook. It has all our stuff in there. So much is going to be updated throughout this season. And then big updates once the college football season ends in that, you know, late mid to mid-December through the draft months leading up to the draft. So much changes uh, as we get a chance to really dig into more film from this season as well. More players will be added. Uh, it's the best resource. Uh, it's the best way to help us guys. Uh, and for $9.99, we think you will enjoy it. So, on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.